Having a Gas is the podcast that chats to the great and the good of the creative industries. And in particular, finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for cooking to, for dancing to, f***ing to, and more. Today, I'm having a gas with Nikki Unsworth, who has been CEO of Manchester agency BJL for the last 24 years. She tells me all about how her agency has adapted to the ongoing coronavirus pandemic and her expectations for the future of the industry. Hey, Nikki. Hi. Thanks for coming in. Nice to be here. Nice to be out. Yeah, of course, because at the time uh, of recording this, it's October. Course. Is this the first time you've been out? It's the second time. So I was in London the week before last, which was, uh, yeah, that was, I was at the old Triton Street office and about 15 was pulled in there. So that was strange. But it's nice being out, nice yeah. seeing people not through a screen. Yes, of course. Oh, yeah. Either kind of screen, either the Zoom screen or the yeah. new plastic shields that have oh, been installed yeah, I everywhere. I know. Not that we should complain. I mean, Zoom and the technology has been amazing, hasn't mm, it? Yeah. But it's so nice to see proper people. Yes. Yeah. So when did, um, on the COVID note, Obviously, it's all any of us have been talking about for seven or eight months now. But uh, when did things become clear at BJL that it was going to get quite serious? When did you start putting the brakes on? Well, it was quite quite interesting, really, because it was mid-March, wasn't it, and things were beginning to change. And um, I said to the team, um, we have a Monday morning kickoff meeting, and I said, you know, we should do a little trial to check that our tech's going to work. And uh, why don't we just pick a team within the agency, make sure all the tech's um, sorted, and get them to work at home for a day. And we won't tell them which team would do it as a surprise. And we did an agency note explaining that everybody needs to be geared up to work from home, thinking it might happen, it might not, and if it does, it's sometime in the future. And that was on the Tuesday or Wednesday. And on the Thursday, I was out of the office. Because we're now part of Dentsu, that decision was made at a very, very senior level. So we got a day's notice to shut down. And so we shut down really quite early on. Luckily, we'd done that exercise to roll geared up to work from home. And within 24 hours, we were all doing it. It was quite amazing, really. Wow. And they, we were quite early because they had, I think it's been a really great policy, actually. They had a lag, not lead. So I felt like we could keep staff really safe. So we're probably one of the early ones to shut down. Um, but, it, but it worked and the tech worked and, you know, Thank off we went. That. Yeah. So that's interesting because obviously we're not part of a network. No. You are part of Dentsu Aegis. Yes. And in fact, the last time I saw you was when you did a little talk for the MPA. Oh, yeah. Talking about what it's going to be like yeah. going on. Yeah. So um, I presume that was network-wide. Uh, Dentsu Aegis said to all their agencies. Yeah, they did. Right. They did. Where's their headquarters again? Uh, well, London, Triton Street is the one we report to the Japan, and but obviously offices globally. Yeah. Um, but no, they did. And it's interesting, really, because some of the, I kind of call it the heavy lifting, some of the, the big decisions were just made. So uh, we could just slot in. So actually, what I could do was focus on clients, the team and the work and the tech and the decisions and the, you know, how we keep people safe was done by a big team. And I hadn't even appreciated that would be an advantage of being part of a network. But historically, that would have consumed me. Yeah, I would have been trying to work out, you know, when do we shut? How does it work? tech team are we in place so that was just a real blessing and the tech team were amazing everything worked within 24 hours yeah Yeah. and so how quickly did things in March when it all ground to a halt and as you say you know you mentioned a 48 hour timeline there and that really is how it felt because we were in London on the 28th of February normal life crowds pubs the works and then less than a month later all stopped all stopped yeah so it, it was a very quick 
turnaround. Uh, how quickly did it? Did you start yeah, noticing it affecting? Really quickly, because I think everybody did the same, didn't they? Everybody kind of reined in to try and assess what was happening, and then it definitely followed a pattern. And we were just trying to keep ahead of it. It reined in while everybody worked out what was happening. They then decided what they needed to do to cope with this, and then they decided try to try to get on the front foot. And so ours literally did a curve. It kind of dropped off, plateaued, and then gradually came. Right now, we're really busy yes, and have been for the last few months. Um, I think one of the things we did quickly was we adapted to working from home really quickly. Um, we're quite a tight team. There's only 75 of us, so we're a decent size, but we're quite a tight team. So people very quickly got into their sort of mode of you know operating with their teams. Um, and I think we've actually adapted to it really, really well. So for example, in the last three months, maybe two months, we've won three pitches on the trot, which we hadn't done in the three months prior to lockdown. So it's been interesting how it's fo- we've, we've been able to focus back in on clients, back in on the, the, the campaigns and the advertising. Um, and a lot of my day job when I was in the office was was maybe more working around the business, where right now I'm right back in the thick of it. Yeah, and is that where you prefer to be? I'm, I've loved that. I have absolutely loved that. Um, I think I like the contrast. You know, I really think it's great to be in a business where you've got all the different, all the variety. Um, but I have loved being back working with clients on client business, using time really efficiently, um, feeling part of a team. I, I, I do prefer being with people, but I have managed to feel very much part of a team. And pitches always make you feel part of a team. So we've had, we have had an influx of new business. So and that also buoys the spirits. So generally, the spirits are good, um, and the business we're, we're flat out right now. And so, what does the average day during uh, COVID for the chief executive BJ look like compared to what it was before? Yeah, do you want just my work bit? Um, I mean, I do I do tend to try, it's interesting, I try and top and tail the day because what I found early on was there was no cutoff. So the first few weeks were all consuming. So I do top and tail the day. So for example, I did a run this morning. Um, most evenings, certainly in the nicer weather, I would do a cycle at the end of the day. Right. So top and tail it. Um, and then it depends, Monday's a big kickoff day for us. So we have the big Monday meeting nine o'clock. It used to be about a third of the agency, but we now do it for all the agency while we're remote. Um, and that's a real kickstart the day. We have a board meeting at the end of the day. Um, and in between, lots of client projects, really. I've worked on more client work than I have for a long time. Um, and then being part of something bigger. We're, we're within Dentsu. We're part of, um, it's one of the things I'm enjoying, actually, we're part of the creative line of business. So that's where the creative business is. Bear in mind, Dentsu is predominantly, historically, a media business. Creative businesses are coming together, and um, so we're beginning to work more with businesses in that, like Denson McGarry Bowen, um, White Space up in Edinburgh, Isobar. So I will spend some time each week working with them as well. Lots of collaboration. Um, we do a lot ourselves, but we talk about radical collaboration. So, you know, that talking to those businesses, understanding what they're doing, bringing them in on projects. So, yeah, it's like going back to my um, business director days. Yeah. It's good. And how does, you know, reaching out to new business prospects, how different is that for you in the age of Zoom? Well, do you know, it's been, I, I, there are some downsides because there's nothing better than meeting people and, and creating that connection. That said, I think there's some amazing positives. So, for example, a new business inquiry comes in. Ordinarily, you respond to that. You maybe do an email back. They say, can you give me some dates? You give them some dates. They can't do them. You get one three weeks on Wednesday. They then move it. And the momentum, it's very difficult to get momentum. In this world, literally a marketing director would drop a note to either me or our new business email. I'd suggest a quick Zoom call just so we can understand. And the momentum has been huge. 
And there's a kind of value in that because we're quite agile as a team. So I think that come, I think the Zoom or Teams technology lends itself to the way we work. So we've been super responsive with new business and probably managed to create a connection quite quickly and generate momentum that's sometimes quite difficult to generate when you are in an office, traveling to London, traveling to Scotland, hopping on a plane. Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't swap the two, but I think there's been some real advantages. My apologies. That's just one of our many new business inquiries because we're so successful. Well, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> no. Um, the thing that strikes me when hearing what you're saying there and what everyone's been saying throughout this this series and since lockdown is that the the new way of doing things, the new normal, um, if it's not too cliche to say, presents some real advantages as you've just illustrated. So how are you, how are you going to try and bring those advantages with you back into normality, which people say is never coming back at the moment. But you know, when we're back in offices. Yeah. yeah. I think I'll be much more flexible with people. And it's interesting because there are two cohorts out there. There are people who, I've heard people say they don't like the remote working, they need to get everybody back in the office, particularly in creative industries, we need to be together. Other people say this, it's, this social experiment has been, you know, wonderful and things never go back to what they were, but they all are netting out in the same place, which is, two or three days in the office, two or three days at home. So whichever direction you come from, yeah. that's where people are netting out. And we will do something similar. Right. Um, Ogilvy are doing that, aren't they? 3-2, they're saying. Yeah, I think it's really, it is interesting because people in both camps are, are landing on that same. So even people who love being in the office seem to be landing in the same territory. Um, so I think I think we'll give lots more flexibility to people. Um, people will still have to work with their teams, work around their teams. Um, simple things like efficient use of time. So I'll give you an example. We're starting to do face-to-face now. So I have got, uh, we're doing a workshop in with clients in the Midlands in two weeks' time. We need a, a, a session, a half-day session to prepare for it with them. Now, ordinarily, that would have been all of us in our cars, on trains, down to you know, wherever it is in the Midlands. Half a day, yes. Uh, yeah, it's, it's your day. It's your whole day. You know, it's five o'clock start. I don't mind the five o'clock start. It's a five o'clock start. It's probably a six o'clock finish. You've done one meeting. What I've said straight away is let's do the face-to-face of the workshop, but let's do our prep day on Zoom. So that'll be three hours. I've got so much of the day left to do with the stuff. So productive. Yeah. And so, and that might be get a run or a cycle in or it might be work with another client so I think it's getting that balance not not doing not going back to where we were but not um, giving up on some of the learnings I wouldn't resort to all Zoom and Teams calls but I think they're going to be part of our world yeah. moving forward and I, I, I sympathise I really like the idea of uh, sharing your time between remote working and in-person working yeah. one of the things I'm hearing so much at the moment. In fact, doing something with uh, McCann at the moment and the creative director is saying, normally I go down the corridor and speak to my ECD about something, even if it's just small, you know, have you got a minute? Yeah. Now I have to wait for his dot on Microsoft Teams to go green and it's always um, red. Um, and so they're really struggling with the lack of spontaneous um, conversation. So I, I don't do that, I just ring people. And it doesn't matter who. And if they don't answer, they don't answer, they ring me back. So I still do that spontaneous. Um, and we all do. So, you know, if, if I get a call come in, I'll just kill it, but they know I'll come back to them. So we do still do that. I mean, even, even to the point where yesterday, yesterday I finished a meeting. The person I finished it with called me straight back because he had a new baby. And the baby had just been plonked on his knee. So he said, just thought I'd call you back and show you my baby. <laughs> and, you know, that's... that's Which the, you can't do in the office. Can't the do in the office. So that's the human <laughs> side of it. So I am spontaneous still. and um, But respectful that people do have also to have, um, you know, their, their time to work on things. 
Um, and the other thing we've tried to do as well, at the office we always work through lunch. I've tried to stop people doing that. Yes. It's too intense, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And um, who was I talking about this with? I think it was Ben Kay where we were saying, you know, taking off Rory Sutherland's point, your old friend Rory, um, Rory was always saying that the extroverts have been dominating the workplace, you know, yeah. so the people yeah. who want everyone together have been winning. Yeah. But also so the, you know, high conscientiousness types, as in people who think to uh, work the latest is yeah. to work the hardest, yeah. whereas efficiency is what you're saying. Oh my God, it's just changed that completely. And um, yeah, it's really changed. And I'm quite old school. I was quite old school because I've grown up in a different, you know, in, in the industry at a different time. But that's completely changed now. But my quality of life is better. I mean, is your quality of life better? Um, up and down, because I still, you know, I don't have a family yet. Yes. And so that is yes. one thing that I'm sensing people with families have really appreciated the yeah. time. That's the thing. And that's what I can't, I mustn't lose sight of, actually. I think that for the younger members of the team, the sort of sociability, you know, the things that we, we have struggled to recreate, we have tried, but we have a culture club. Um, we'll do, you know, Thursdays, the bar and the agency will open. They'll do bongo bingo together. And I actually think if I were in my 20s, I'd have struggled because that was my work, was my social life. Yes. So, yeah, I think we've got to be careful not to sort of forget about that. So I think that's something to address when we move back. Yeah. Yeah. But um, then, you know, at the, at the same time, um, it's, this, it's, it's uh, being young isn't all bad. So, oh, no. <laughs> And, um, no. you know, with uh, my my mum, for example, you know, she's having to uh, make the decision between, you know, what does she not see her mother, who's 93, oh. or, you know, do you spend more time or do you come between those rules or not? So very tough. there's challenges at every age. Yeah, and really so, um, the, you know, the fact that we're going through this, we have the technology to be able to stay working whilst isolating yeah. and, you know, our businesses while obviously many big chains that were dependent on retail footfall yeah. have really suffered. Yeah. Um, I think there probably there are probably many advantages to the high tech time we're in that have made it workable. Yeah, I think so. And I think I think it's partly the technology and partly um, attitude and approach. So I think we've talked for years about agility, but never has it been more important. You know, um, consumers are changing the way they respond to brands, not not just monthly, it's weekly, daily, hourly almost now, brands that are responding to that. So being super agile, mm. adapting for us is, is really important as a business, I would say. Yeah. One of the great conversations I had was with Sally Miller, who uh, produced the TikTok TVC. Oh, yeah. And I know before we started rolling, we were talking about the fact that yeah. we've seen enough user-generated content now out of lockdown. Yeah, yeah. But TikTok really, for me, stole the, the golden Yeah, they've you know, got the a good basis to do it, haven't they, really? Absolutely. More permission than anybody, really. Yeah, uh, but um, as they were saying, it was that brand responsiveness was the reason they did it. You have to let people know you're out there and yeah. this is the moment that Absolutely. it's been waiting for. Yeah, and they knew that, they, that this was their time and they took it and, and did it. And I think it's quite, I think some brands just locked down completely and I understand that. It's almost like rabbit in the headlights. But I think the, the ones that were on the front foot and they were watching what consumers were doing and understanding how their brand could meet their needs and understanding the communications that could sit around it that could take advantage of the times uh, are doing are doing well. So some brands are really thriving. Who have you been really impressed by? Um, well, I think it's mainly the, the, the retailers that have moved to a digital platform quickly. So, you know, a lot of the retail, um, the big sheds, 
I take advantage of people indulging in DIY. So Ron Seal's a client of ours. So, you know, Wix and B&Q adapted. You know, the fact that you can now pull up outside the DIY shops and, and collect outside. I mean, that that just took a bit of extra thinking. Once they've done it, it's kind of obvious. Yeah. But it's not. It was so remote from the model that we were working. So I think it's, it's maybe not the spectacular brands for me. It's the brands that have just thought, how can I twist this and... And you know, and take advantage of a changing scenario. Yeah. yeah. One thing you said on uh, the phone when we were arranging this, which I thought was really good, you said, uh, "Who'd have thought normal would ever be so aspirational?" Oh, I know. <laughs> it could <laughs> I be a copywriter. I, I think that about so many things at the moment. Yeah. yeah you know, normal. I mean, if you joke about it at home, normal. If we just get to normal. We're all happy. Yes. Um, but I, it will return, won't it? Yeah, I think. Um, I, I, Who's in the business of making predictions at the moment? I mean, the last four years have been the most unpredictable I've, I've ever known in yeah, my yeah. 27 years. Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, regarding next year, I'm not ruling out that it could be probably this time again next year before we're seeing some real normality. Yeah, yeah, I so. But I think we're floating. Yeah. But on the, on the brands and the retail point, obviously the news this week has been that Cineworld has closed its doors. And so what what do you think is going to happen in terms of some, you know, like retail and like things like where, places where people congregate? Some things are going to fall by the wayside, but are they going to leave a blank space? You know, is there going to be no more cinema after this? It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think as a, the Brits, we're, we're a creative nation, aren't we? And if something creates a gap, somebody will be there to fill it, mm. you know? It's like I was, there was a, in the news today, there was a wedding. So they have 15 or 30 at a wedding now, I'm not actually sure. But they've taken the cinema, the drive-in cinema model and done a drive-in wedding. So they got their numbers, social distance, big screen where they watch the, the ceremony and food ordered from the car and taken to the car. So I think that's an events company who've suddenly said to family who wanted a big wedding, we've got a way of doing it. Amazing. So I think we are imaginative and creative. It's, 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 sits at our core. So I think those gaps will be plugged. And, you know, already we're seeing um, restaurants and bars adapt to, you know, out, outdoor serving beyond you know, bank holiday Mondays in August so you know we now know that in winter we're going to be sitting outside so we're going to be buying different clothes they're putting throws out they're putting heaters they're covering them so I think the gaps will be filled I think the the sad sad thing about Cineworld is that it was kind of out of their control wasn't it you know so it's when it's when your um, success is dependent on somebody else doing something Um, and that's that's truly stressful isn't it because no matter how hard you work to get it right if that James Bond film isn't going to be ready that was going to generate you the revenue to pay the least you know so it's sad but um, I'm sure they'll come back in some way I think the sector I worry most about is probably travel and I don't just mean any travel I think um, lots of brands like we work with Eurocamp and um, lots of brands are adapting and doing really well but the big airlines that's going to be challenging yeah because flying's um, that, that's and we used to work with British Airways we worked with British Airways for 13 years we don't work with an airline right now but that sector must be very tough right now yeah because it's uh, one of these sectors where the operating costs are enormous exactly even if the planes are grounded exactly and uh, the capital the re- costs are high people are nervous about flying travel restrictions are changing you know so the, again there's a lot happening out of their control and it's not a very agile uh, business is it so I think you know there'll be some successes um, and, and then others are going to have to think differently long term aren't they yeah uh, I think our industry is quite uh, 
climate sensitive at the moment. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of discussion about um, making things more sustainable going forward in yeah. Campaign Live every day. And stuff like yeah. that. We were involved with a project with Iris called The Great Reset, where they were encouraging people to you know, maintain sustainable practices they yeah. picked up during lockdown. So I think to your point of saying it's going to be more flexible working, that could help. Yeah. Why do a day of driving when you Absolutely. could be on Zoom? Yeah. Um, but the airline thing, uh, that's certainly one where I wonder if, and this is pure hypothetical because yeah. I have no data on this, but say if that was the end of big emission flights and we have to wait yeah. until yeah. a smarter or a less, you know, what's yeah. the word? Uh, a more sustainable solution is yeah. going to play there. I, th- I think certainly there'll be a tipping point to be reached in quite a few areas. And, you know, I described it earlier as, as a social experiment. I think it's been it's a catalyst for change. And some of it will be good, some of it will be, some of it will be bad. Um, but I think what we've got to do is try and, you know, extract the good and move it forward. And some of the climate change stuff could well be part of that. Yeah. You know, the, the thing that happens better, wouldn't it? Yes. So, but that's a lot of COVID. Let's um, move back into the world of BJL yeah. um, pre-COVID. So, uh, when did the the acquisition by Dentsu happen? It happened on Valentine's Day <laughs> last year, yeah. <laughs> and I'm rubbish on dates, but it, either my birthday or Valentine's Day, I remember. Um, so, yeah, so we are, um, yeah, a year and a half, a bit more than a year, getting on for two years now. Yeah, significant change before and after. Yeah, it has. It's been good. Um, it's interesting really it's happened it's almost by stealth because we stayed in our own office same team um access to more um skill sets working with a slightly enhanced team um and it's kind of gathered momentum as we've maybe pitched within the part of the business or done a project together or we've become part of the creative line of business which is a relatively new construct so if i look now to where we when we started the change is quite massive but it's happened quite gradually and quite organically which means it's not been too difficult and i would say overall i I would say almost absolutely it's been a good experience and i think this particular period it's been wonderful being part of Dentsu because to have that sounding board peer group peer set people to bounce off you know, things to check, people working to kind of get to the right solution has, has been invaluable. And feeling like you're part of a broader team with yeah. more minds to reach out to. Yeah, and I think that might be something I hadn't necessarily expected. I think, I don't know if I'd expect to be feeling part of a team as much as I do. And that's quite important to me. It was one of the things early on I kind of was, was not sure how that would map out, but that's that's mapping out well. Um, and as I say, I think, I think the business has handled this period sensitively, um, efficiently, you know, tech supported. So that's been nice. And then the other bits are we, you know, some great uh, projects to work on, access to brands we maybe didn't have access to before, talent we didn't have access to. So, you know, we can now work with, we can, within the creative line of business, we have businesses um, that are specializing in programming content, um, technology, um, you know, tech creative solutions. So to be able to pitch and pull in experts from different areas it's really it's, it's a nice dynamic it enhances the team it gets the clients a better solution but the BJL team is still very much as it was it's still intact a few people come and go as they do each year um, so yeah so same same but different yeah and that uh, your journey with BJL has been 24 years yeah it's, gosh, it's a long time it's really funny because I was talking to somebody the other day and I see myself as somebody who job hops and I clearly don't because I've been there forever. But I think what happened early on in my career, I kind of kept moving because I was I was kind of quite ambitious and I was never I was a bit 
Um, I always wanted, I was curious about the next thing, curious about the next thing. So in my mind, I job hopped, but then when I reflect, I haven't really. But the one thing I would say is I've been at BHL a long time, but the business hasn't stood still. And I think that's one of the things, you know, um, BGL today is very different from BGL when I joined. Yeah, and what was it like when you joined? So, well, it's interesting because I actually joined it a few years in, but the people that started it I knew. So they were, we were all at JWT together, and as was the thing in the 80s, the, the agencies were formed by breakaways from other agencies. They broke away, the B, the J, and the L. And um, where did they break away from? JWT. Oh, okay, yeah. J, J. Walter Thompson, which is a brand that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, sadly. I know. Wonderman Thompson. I know. I still can't quite believe that. <laughs> um, and so they set up three of them, two of them. Then Trevor joined, and then I did a little bit of freelance for them. Um, and then I eventually joined, and then I was doing some lecturing, some consulting, mm-hmm. a bit of freelancing, and then I joined them as a director. And there were nineteen of us, and so quite small, um, new-ish, no real credibility with clients. And so the big thing for me was the story we had to tell when we went into talk. You know, in in those days, not shortly after that, we won British Airways, uh, we won Pilkington Glass, we won some big brand names, and we were a small and known agency. So what we had to do was rely on what we brought to the party from the rest of our careers and our history. So we used to tell our story and package it all together. And the difference now is we've got a great history. So the BGL story is is what we carry through and increasingly the Dentsu story. Yeah. So, you know, you just transition and it's been quite a privilege really to see that change in approach and how the industry's morphed and evolved. That's really interesting when you're talking about being a young agency, small team with, as you say, not that much professional baggage to bring to a pitch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and would you say British Airways was the first blue chip client that you got um, I think, it, yeah, I'm trying to, well, um, I'm trying to think, I'm sure we had others, I can't really mm. remember that far, but I think Pilks and British Airways were two biggies. But we did work with Granada Studios, slightly different, more local. Um, yeah, British Airways was probably the first Yeah, first big one. It's just an interesting coincidence because I'm currently reading a new book about the rise of Saatchi's, first oh, yeah. told by the insiders. Yeah. And they were notorious for almost like a cat trying to look threatening, being able to puff themselves yeah. up and look bigger than yeah, they were yeah, yeah, yeah. to attract those big clients. Yeah. So was there, while not suggesting that it was deceptive, was there an element of that in the early days? There's a little bit of that. Uh, I think the agency, generally the agency and the people in the agency haven't got a big ego. And I do think you need a big ego to do that. And I'm not, I don't think a big ego is a bad thing, by the way. I think it can be quite an asset. I think our style was more work really hard. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do a brilliant job and work really, really hard and just get great results for them. And then they'll want to. A bit more northern. It's really northern. I mean, I love the idea of puffing up in a big ego and, um, you know, presenting this huge golden reception area yeah. for clients, not tiny so, offices. Yeah, not so much. No, mm-hmm. very much. We are what we are, and we are what you see. And there is a northernness, even even you know, in the London team, um, there's a kind of northernness. And have you carried that through in the the northern team to to you know the the modern density era? Does it still have that sort of slightly gritty attitude? Yeah, I think we do for sure. I think we're fairly. Um, I think we're relatively uncomplicated and straight talking and hard working, and you know we're a bit um, relentless in trying to get to the you know we'll push ourselves and push each other. The thing that's been really interesting is the cultural fit the teams were working with the density was really close. Now, again, you would not necessarily have imagined that. Um, I sensed it when we were being acquired with the people that we were dealing with, which was mainly the Manchester team. But it's fair to say we're working mainly in London now. And I there's a very comfortable cultural fit. So 
I don't know whether that was our instinct when we were you know they were talking to us that it would fit but it is working so but they, they aren't literally northern but there is a sort of common sense although you and Jarvie who's the CEO is Scottish oh, right. that's a bit of northerness for you yeah uh, it's much more northern than, uh, than us so. indeed but uh, <laughs> but on that point of mixing the cultures um, we were talking about this and we've been uh, keen to expand on you know what's going on with Manchester at the moment yeah Manchester creative scene and everything else is happening um I suppose one thing that's been making me reflect on this more recently is we've come in the city, we've become part of, part of the news because of uh, the TV series Manctopia that was yes. about the property oh, yes, boom. Yes, 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 And so we're seeing huge investment. And in fact, I was going around looking for properties recently and um, the even the houses out in places like Gorton, which aren't traditionally yeah. high interest areas, were saying, I've just got investors from London coming up to try and buy the property up there. Oh my time. God, you're joking. Yeah. And so, obviously, there's an interest here, but does it translate over to the creative industries, you know? Um, so, the interest in... Is that a property question or a...? I suppose, yeah, good point. It's not really formulated very well. But <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of both. There's, uh, there's you know, more interest in uh, professionals being here. Oh, I see. But are we going to attract more brands up here? Are we going to be able oh, to I get see. more work yeah, up that's here? A great, no, it's a great question. I haven't quite understood it. Um, I think this... This is this catalyst for change that we've already talked about will lead to people being more ready to leave London. Um, I, th- I think it's proven once and for all that we don't have to be in the southeast to even work with a London agency. And actually, for clients, the agency is a bit um, lo- location agnostic. I think more clients won't really care where you are. Not universally, and I think there will still be. I, I, you know, London is a global creative city, so that's not going to disappear quickly. But I think there are more opportunities for out of London than ever before. And I've always felt very, very, very optimistic about Manchester anyway. I think the infrastructure and the talent and the creativity and the can-do ethos um, has, is just exceptional. And so we have all that infrastructure. It's not like we're trying to, to adapt to something. We have all that ready and we need to be on the front foot yeah. to take advantage of it. Um, because I think brands now are recognising that, that they don't need to be the London agency or, or they'll just be the best agency. It doesn't really matter where they are. And I think increasingly talent will think the same. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's positive for us. It's definitely something that Rory said. If you don't need to be in, uh, if you don't need a five-storey office building in London, then why would you continue paying those rents? Yeah. And so there could be, certainly more agency thinking remotely and also like, we, like we've been mentioning clients thinking well why not move you know we're going to have an office have it in a city which yeah. needs a little yeah. bit of this presence and, yeah. and it's going to be cheaper to live in I think so but I think I think we can't we will for creative industries we will still still need a hub yes you do need a combination of uh, you know businesses like yours businesses like ours uh, digital startups established businesses that's that creates the dynamic that um, develops the talent that allows the, the businesses to grow so I think the, the places that are already creative hubs will thrive yes. um, and, and yeah I think clients will be more location agnostic yeah, yeah. so uh, you're optimistic that we'll be able to because uh, we, we were both enthusing before we started recording about doing just getting more of the A-list work up there for yeah. you know uh, more of the great creative work up there like what um, Uncommon have just done for B&Q have you seen their out of home stuff yeah. really good 
And so we want to be bringing more of that high caliber stuff up here. Yeah. And, and creative work is inextricably linked to talent. So the yes. questions are all entwined, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think we still do. There's still some great work that comes out of Manchester. Um, I mean, there's great work if you look back historically to, you know, the Asda Pocket Tap, which has been reinvigorated, was the original BJ and L did. Um, you know, there's some amazing work coming out of Manchester. Um, Solvite campaign where the guys glued to the plane. Um, and now you've got sort of McCann's doing that great, the Aldi campaigns, some wonderful work. Our own Ron Seal campaigns won something like 18, 20 awards. I just think we struggle with the volume maybe that, but there aren't as many agencies either. Um, but I think we do, there is some good, great work done in Manchester, but the opportunity is to try and push that now, I suppose. Yeah. And so that's, uh, that's definitely the challenge for the, the the near and mid-term future, isn't it? Trying Absolutely. Yeah, and I think we are, you know, as an agency, we're certainly focused on creative product and pushing the boundaries. So, you know, I'd like to think that this period can push us more in that direction. One thing that I was interested to get your take on that I've heard a number of different opinions on at this stage is, uh, obviously, like we were saying, you've been in the industry, well, in BJR specifically, 24 years. And how does the modern era of multi-channel digital output compare with the, if I've got this right, because I'm a young idiot, the traditional <laughs> age of uh, radio, print and TV? You it's know. brilliant. It's brilliant on loads of levels. Um, it's brilliant because it's more, you can fine tune things to consumers. So you're hearing stuff that's more customized to you rather than this one message that was hitting millions. Um, so in terms of brand communications, it's wonderful because you can flex it different messaging, different stages of your purchasing journey from, you know, hearing about a product to actually buying it. Um, but not only that, in in the old days, if a client didn't have a massive budget, you couldn't do much for them. Because if they, all they had was TV, radio and outdoor yeah. press, it needed multi-millions. Where now, what you can see is small, agile brands, startup tech brands, um, new online retailers. They can create a campaign around a completely different um, construct. So it's great for the big brands because it gives them the flexibility around their comms piece. But it's great for small brands because it gives their it gives them a point of entry. So there are fewer barriers to entry for brands. So I think it allows people to be more entrepreneurial. So and as, and as a creative agency, it's great because you end up with really multi-layered campaigns. So the story you tell when you put a case study together, and it's great to have a, a wonderful hero TV ad. But actually, what is it that what is it that amplifies it? What is it that sits around it? We talk about having a big organising idea. A lot of people commute that just for TV ad. But what we mean by that is, where else can it go? Where else can it live in consumers' world? And the whole digital piece and PR and um, social media means that that amplification is just it's easier and more effective. So it's it's made it more exciting. Yeah, there's certainly much more potential. Uh, has it affected uh, the nature of the work that BJL do? Do you find yourself doing fewer of the hero TV spots? And well, we, we, we genuinely start from, unless a client comes to us and says, I need a TV company, we generally, generally start from a, a media neutral standpoint. Right. And then we work, and we work out all the strategies that sit behind it. We then get to a big organising idea. And then we work out how to communicate that. Right. So it's who you're getting to first rather than where. Yeah, who you're getting to. What, yeah, what's the thought behind the brand? Is TV right? Is TV not? Is, is it a big event? Is it a sort of, is it something that you do and you publicise? And, you know, the Ron Seal campaign that I referenced earlier, mm. I mean, that was not a typical TV campaign. That was a three-minute ad break of a man. It was creating a Gogglebox moment in Gogglebox. Three-minute ad break of a man painting a fence. Somebody said to me recently, was that, 
was that nerve wracking? That was brave. So well, it kind of was, but don't don't fall into the trap of thinking that's all we did because there was so much sat around that. You know, there was social, there was outdoor, there were um, there were articles, there were a team getting it trending. So it it means that we've got this multi layered approach. And we just talk about amplification. How do you get the most out of the idea? And then you have all these different channels and tools that you can use that that we didn't have before. Yeah, that's really interesting. Hearing it described as you know, that you can do this multi-layered pincer movement. Yeah. On, and because what I hear, what I've, I've had a lot of conversations with people saying, um, you know, that the creative was much more effective in the traditional era. Or not effective, because I don't think we talk much about effect. I think we just, on the, I mostly talk to people on the creative side who get kind of more nostalgic about the yeah. content. Yeah, I get that. And, and a lot of the old ads were filmic and, you know, in style and iconic and very memorable because... The main budget was going to TV, and I do I do agree with that. I think you know we still have those big ads, but maybe they feel like they might be fewer and far between. Yes, and do you think you see as much you know big long term brand building in this era? Yeah, I think I think you do with the big brands. I think there's been because there's so many um, stats that prove the value of that. Um, I think it's tempting to chase the the click throughs, you mm. know, and and it's very rewarding when you're sitting with a client and they kind of go, oh, we, you know, we've gone from this number to that number. Um, but there's lots of studies been done to prove that long term you need a backdrop of brand building. You know, as consumers, we buy we brand we buy brands that we associate with, we identify with, that we, you know, agree with what they're trying to achieve. Um, we might click through and buy that once, but most brands are looking for repeat purchases, yes. looking for advocates. Um, so brand building needs to sit alongside all the sort of other, all the other techniques. So I mean that, that answers another question I had about it, where we were saying is the targeted digital advertising, is it you know more effective or merely more expedient? As in you know obviously does it do the job better or does it do it quicker and cheaper? Yeah, I think done well. It does it better when it's when it's um, put together with all the other bits of the communications. Uh, campaign really I think it's when you are just chasing clicks for the sake of clicks that long term it's not good for brand health um, but I think you've done well and you know you think of your own experience as a consumer if you're hit with a message that you can relate to that actually triggers a thought and it makes you go to the next step and it's worked if it's just a sort of clickbait type thing it's annoying and it, it, you associate that with a brand that's real negative so um, I think done well with creativity still in the in the mix it can work really well for a brand, but usually in conjunction with other things as well. Yeah, cool. So, is there anything um, on the that you can talk about? Is there anything on the horizon coming up that you're uh, excited about, or any, any? Oh, you know, I never know what I've got permission to talk about. That's so interesting. Mm. We're super busy at the moment. Um, we're doing. I don't know how much I can say about. It. We've got three TV ads on the go this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, one for a big retail. Well, they're all actually all three are retail, That's completely different sectors. So retail, we talked about. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got another TV campaign and production, which is for more an online business. But I'm not sure that how you say that's terrible, isn't it? Um, yeah, we just did the. We we did quite recently do the TFL Santander bikes campaign that went down well. Take life by the handlebars, so that's gone live. Um, so the agency's generally really very busy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh, so you know it's good because this is maybe mm, not the only one I've done, but this is in terms of the the having a gases. This is certainly one where it's been 
not not really centered on bad news and certainly a lot of positivity yeah no i feel very optimistic i think if you'd caught me in april it might have been a different you know april was I had essential oils, de-stress essential oils burning next to my... Uh, <laughs> what, 24-7? <laughs> no, not quite, but, you know, somebody bought me, so I thought, yeah, I'll have some of that, that'll help. Yes. Um, I think, yeah, I do feel really optimistic. I My my biggest worry is getting the team back in and getting the team... So, the point we made earlier, I think for some of the young members, it's harder. Yeah. And I want them to feel like they're part of something again. I think it's easier for me. Um, but generally, as a business, I think, I'd say cautiously optimistic, adapted really well, um, creating great work the work isn't being compromised I think early on maybe it was a little bit it isn't being compromised um, and I think we've learnt lots of things that we'll take forward that will make us a better business post-Covid please God yeah. soon <laughs> I'll, 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 I'll uh, maybe uh, throw one more thing at you before we wrap this up which is uh, and I don't know if you if you want to talk about this but you had some development on the in your family didn't you while I did we, I did we had a lockdown lockdown baby so my daughter had, a, so had first, our first grandchild. Amazing. Who's very cute, who's, um, yeah, she was born five weeks early. So it's been, 2020 has been full of surprises every which way, but she was a real, um, yeah, ray of light. She's gorgeous. She's called Kalea, Callie for short. Amazing, Callie. I like Callie. that. And so, um, that, did you say that was your first grandchild? It is. And how's that been? Being oh, amazing. Time? Yeah, so lovely. Um, yeah, I can't, it's so difficult. I mean, it's like when you have your first baby, that's amazing. Um, but see your baby have a baby. Yeah. It's like, wow, it's, it kind of blows your brain a bit, really. Um, yeah, it's been good. Yeah, our chief executive, you know, became a granddad and you're saying it's great for the, when you get to see um, your children with that looking like they're about to be hit by a train <laughs> when it's all on coming. And then after the first few weeks, taking yeah. it in the stride. Oh, yeah, I was so proud of her. And, and having a baby in lockdown is not easy. No. You know. Out of lockdown either, but... No, out of lockdown. <laughs> <laughs> but no, she's doing well. So no, that's been a real upside. Uh, it's been a treat. Yeah. Great. Okay, well, you know, I wish you all the best on the family side and, of course, thank on the you. business side for uh, for BJL thank next year. Thank you. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been my second outing of lockdown. I was so, so excited actually putting work clothes on today. Great. Yeah, well, uh, I hope there are more outings for you and let's see if we can do this again next year. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.